0: It's time now for super psychologist, Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years. Welcome to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years this evening and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. Central Time and at 6 p.m. Eastern Time right here on blogtalkradio.com and on dr. And today is Sunday, May the 15th, 2022. And I'm psychologist Dr. Mara Carpell, and we are back live from beautiful and steamy hot Austin, Texas (laughs) and Art Mendoza of Accomplished Entertainment producer of this program is here with us to make the show run smoothly as usual and in a little while after the break we'll be joined from Alberta, Canada by Laura Ballerini, graphic designer and author of the new book The Green Velvet Chair and she'll be here to discuss her new book and how There is art and design in all aspects of our lives. And then later in the show, the twins, Minerva and Ruben, are back to take us to another magical Mexico destination. And along the way, I will finally get to discuss um, how to recognize late life depression. I started it a few times, but I'm going to get through it this time. And after the show, you can hear the program again by going to my website and the link to the podcast will be posted later tonight along with all of the website links that we discuss on the program. And you can also hear the podcast in as soon as five minutes after the show ends by going directly to Blog Talk Radio, B-L-O-G-Talkradio dot com slash your golden years, or you can search for the show on Apple Podcasts and it'll be there as well. And for information about upcoming programs, follow me on Facebook, Dr. Mara Carpel, your golden years. And to find out about previous programs and listen to them, go to my website. All of the shows are since we started on Blog Talk are on my website, drmaricarpel.com, on um, they're on blogtalkradio.com, and they're on Apple Podcasts. This program is produced by Accomplice Entertainment Postal Productions and Psyched Up Productions and sponsored by a MightyGoodTime.com. Wondering what to do after you're 50? How about having a mighty good time? It's free to search, free to post, and much more. Whether it's in person or virtual, anything can be found to fill your day connecting with other people. So be more active and start filling your day with more social activities. Go to a mighty good day, a good That's a good So we're going to take a brief break now to play a couple of our other sponsors commercials. It'll be very brief. So don't go anywhere because we'll be right back and we'll be joined by Laura Ballerini to discuss her book, The Green Velvet Chair. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back.
1: Super psychologist
0: Dr. Mara Karpel will be back after words from our sponsors.
2: Are you or a loved one a Medicare beneficiary? Help save you and Medicare money by stopping Medicare fraud. Fraud happens when Medicare is billed for services or supplies you never receive there are three easy things you can do to fight fraud. Review your Medicare claims for accuracy, protect your personal information, and be on the lookout for suspicious activity. For more information or to report fraud, call Medicare at 1-800-MEDICARE or your local SHIP counselor at the Area Agency on Aging at 1-800-252-9240. Please visit us on the web at www.drmaricarpel.com.
0: And we're back. If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Mara Karpel and Your Golden Years right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmarakarpel.com. And joining us from Alberta, Canada, we have Laura Ballerini, Good the evening, author Dr. of the book Good Evening. Laura I just want to mention before we go further there's a slight delay when we speak like this maybe half a second or a second it's just just enough to trip us up if we don't know it's there so that's a reminder for you and also for listeners who might be wondering Um, welcome Laura how are things there in Alberta
2: oh great we have a beautiful sunny day today so it's it's great yeah we're enjoying the enjoying the sunday Thank you for having me
0: nice. today. Yeah, thank you for joining us. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to discussing your book, The Green Velvet Chair. But before we jump into that, um, how about if you give our listeners a little bit of, of your
2: background? Sure. So I've been a designer, graphic design, and branding for many decades, um, going into my fourth decade, actually. So I've been doing this a long time, and obviously I've seen a lot of change um, through the years. I have a degree in visual communications from the Alberta College of Art and Design, so a four-year course that was quite grueling. some people think art and design is is fun and easy and it's actually um it's 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 a lot of work to do it properly. So I've been doing that for many decades. I've been in the advertising and marketing sphere for for many years and certainly now in social media and and digital design, um website design as well as print. Print is still alive and well. So I've been doing this for a long time. Enjoy it. Uh it's a very collaborative process. So I work with with not just um other designers but good writers and good videographers and that type of thing. So it's been a, a very much a team effort. Mhm.
0: Mhm. So so what led you to write this book, The Green Velvet Chair?
2: Yeah, it's funny, you know, it's it wasn't on my radar. It wasn't um, you know, anywhere that I thought I need to write a book. It just kinda happened. It kinda happened um very organically I guess. And it, it kinda started with um I'll back up a little bit. So I belong to a networking group, and um, you know we had we had to describe each you know someone else in the group um, take their name tag and pretend we were them and introduce ourselves as them. And someone had taken my name tag, and I was quite excited. He was going to introduce me in this networking group, and you know it's full of entrepreneurs and business people and that type of thing. And. And he stood up and he said, Hi, my name is Laura Ballerini, and I'm the quietest and nicest person in the group. I get along with everyone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was a beautiful way to be described. It really was. But here I was in this group of, you know, entrepreneurs, and, and I got described as nice, which um, in retrospect is, you know, we all want to be described as nice at the end of the day. But it kind of made me think, Oh, gee, i gotta I got to up my game here. People don't really even know what I do in this group. So um, I started taking... Um, you know, story is very prevalent in marketing, uh, brand story we've all heard of. So I started um, investigating that a little bit more and going, I need to build my own brand story for my own company. So I took a, um, a storybook writing course, actually several workshops, and I learned to find my voice, and I learned to tell stories. And they were stories. It wasn't a business book um, about branding and graphic design and, and websites. It was about art and design in everyday life, and it kind of, had a, you know, created a life of its own. Um, you know, I I belong to this group of um, of uh, fellow um, storytellers in the, these workshops. I took a variety of them, and it became really um, evident that oh, my stories resonate with people. I could make people cry. I could make people laugh. Like it was like I really um, pulled on the heartstrings with these stories. Um, so as as you know, time went on. I started writing them down and gathered a whole bunch of short essays, because they are true stories, they're not short stories, they're essays, um, through my life, Mm -hmm. through my career, and um, I kind of gathered all these stories into a book, and I thought, you know, I think this has some legs, I think there's stories here that resonate with people, and sure enough, you know, I had some beta readers, I sent the manuscript out to uh, about 15 beta readers, and they're going, Laura, you know, some of them, I've known you for decades. I didn't know you until I read the book. <laughs> and others uh-huh. were going, you know, others were going, I, I you know, I, I did a cross-section of beta readers. Some didn't know me. And they're going, this book really resonates with me. I didn't see ravioli making as an art form. You know what I mean? So it was like I kind of drew out different stories of different types of art and design in everyday life. And it is from cooking to music to, you know, um, um the house cat there's a story about the house cat and his his view on perspective, so there's a whole bunch of different stories relating to art and design that one may not think are art and design right right i I really appreciated
0: um, several of the stories i they actually i could relate to them, and especially in that story that you just gave about how you Decided to write the book about that meeting. Um, your the outcome of that was that you could be nice and a badass at the same time, <laughs> and I appreciated that because you know I used to be the quiet, very quiet one, um, but with a lot to say. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think finding our voice is really important, and we can do that and still be nice people. Exactly. Um, you know, and and you t- you know you you just said that you know art and design shows up in everyday life. Could you could you explain that a little further for people who might be kind of confused? How does how does art and design show up in our life?
2: Yeah, and it is kind of an abstract concept because we think of art as hanging in a museum, or certainly going and listening to music. That's art. But um, I do kind of a series of stories, and maybe I'll just talk about some of the stories, if that's okay, mm-hmm. just to kind of give it some relevance. And I, I think I mentioned this early on, too, with you, um, was when we visited Graceland in Memphis. Well, of course, mm-hmm. I was going to be inspired by the king of rock and roll, but that's not what inspired me. When I walked through his home and I saw the little you know chair you know where him and Lisa Marie curled up with his guitar and sang songs and lullabies, You know that was in the middle of the. uh, I think they called it the um, the jungle room. It was garish. It was you know green shag. I think it was even on the ceiling. It was uh, I think um, tiki tiki. You know it was like a Hawaiian kind of theme. Uh It was quite garish. But I didn't see that. I saw beyond that, and I saw, I really saw the love of a father and a daughter. And that's I think what art and design do is we think a little bit deeper. We think a little bit beyond the obvious. And I guess that's what this book kind of meant to me. was That was just one story of many where it was like, you know what? Of course I'm going to be inspired by the king of rock and roll, but I was not inspired by Elvis per se as the king of rock and roll. I was inspired by him as a father and as a, a son. I mean, there's pictures of his, his mother. His mother was really a huge tribute to her throughout his home. And I saw the love of family, and um, that really inspired me in that particular story. And I've got other examples here mm-hmm.
0: if you want me to go through some of them. Well, no, I I, I mean, I wanted to make sure I, I wrote down a few that resonated with me. So can I ask you about those? Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Okay. So I was very touched by the story that was the title of your book, um, The Green Velvet Chair, and I found it, you know, very touching about your mom and especially timely right now because your mom's background is Ukrainian. And um, you know uh, her resilience really came through in that in that story, and I think that we see that you know maybe that's just the makeup of Ukrainian people that we're seeing right now in the world. Um, so maybe maybe you could talk about that story, and you know, do,
2: yes, do you agree with what story. I'm saying? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, and I have to say, the people of the world have stepped up to help the Ukrainians and that is even more inspiring in many ways, right? So uh we're going through some tough times in the world, but I think there is a lot of resolve and a lot of um, you know, we're gonna we're gonna get through this. So I really appreciate that. Um so I named the book The Green Velvet Chair and it took me a while um to, to come up with that name and then when I came up with it it was so obvious. So the Green Velvet Chair really is a story about um so we were little kids, and we used to go for Sunday drives in the in the country. And uh, my mom and dad, we were driving through this, this country road, and my mom saw this old chair thrown in the farmer's field, and she goes, oh, I love that chair. We have to stop. I'm going to see if I can buy that from the farmer. So we stopped, and she walked up to the farmer's house, and she said, I love the bones of that chair. Like It, was, it really was a beautiful sculptured chair, but it was like, garbage really but she saw the the good bones in it, and then beautiful walnut arms and legs and uh, she went up to the farmer and said can I offer you some money for this chair and he kind of looked at her like like, are you nuts? <laughs> he goes, that's a piece of junk. So he said, no, just take it, take it off my hands, take it out of my field. So my dad was kind of rolling his eyes and going, oh gee, what's she going to do with this piece of junk? And there was four of us little kids in the back seat, kind of going, oh my gosh, what's mom going to do with this? Like, you know, what's what's on her agenda this time? So we we're all kind of snickering, <laughs> kind of almost mocking her in a way, really. And she just dug in, and, and she had a vision. And she took that chair, we brought it home, she stripped it down to its horsehair stuffing, and um, she enrolled in an upholstery class and uh, reupholstered it in beautiful green velvet with beautiful tufted backing. Um, she was a good, very good seamstress. So she reinvented that chair, and it now sits in my house, in my home, in front of the window. And every time I walk by the room where it is, I... Go. So that was inspiration, and that was a vision that, quite frankly, none of us saw. So to me, that was a story of vision and the power of vision and the tenacity to go, all my kids are laughing, my husband's rolling his eyes, but I'm going to make this work. And she did, uh-huh. and now it's like a, it's a coveted treasure in our home, right? So to me, it was really the power of vision, and when everyone's laughing at you, and you go, just watch me. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh,
0: yeah. Uh, yeah, I got from that, from that chapter I got from that, that your mom was a very strong woman. She was. Um, and, you know, there was all the stories are, you know, they jump around in all different, you know, different places and, uh, but um, I really, you know, I kept picking things out that I really appreciated. So, for example, when you were in Italy, and um, you tell the story of doing the Saturday Night Fever hustle on the bus, and uh, it was pretty funny because I'm from I'm originally from Brooklyn, and Saturday Night Fever came out when I was in high school, and uh, I learned that that Saturday Night Fever hustle at my c sixteen, and I was so proud of it. So.
2: Yeah, that yeah, was a magical moment. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and when you yeah. mentioned the stories kind of move around, we did that, like I worked with my publisher, Kathy Sparrow, and we did that on purpose because we had some real highs, funny stories, and then we had mm-hmm. some pretty heavy stories. Like there's stories about writing a eulogy for my mother-in-law and her, mm-hmm. you know, her passing away and all that. So we tried to mix it up so that we weren't on always on this downward spiral. We wanted to go, okay. But they're all funny stories. Even writing a eulogy was actually a joy for me. But I just wanted to say that, yeah, we mix them up because some are very emotionally um, heavy, and some are kind of fun mm-hmm. and lighthearted. We, we kind of arranged them that way so that it would kind of be this ebb and flow of um, getting through to the next story with something perhaps funny after a heavy story. Right, right,
0: yeah. Well, I learned a lot from your stories. So, so for example, when you went to the World Trade Center and you talked about the sphere, um, you know, I worked across the street from the World Trade Center several times um, right after high school and then in the summer. um, I worked in the World Trade Center one summer during college. I don't remember that sphere I was probably one of those people that walked right by it that you talked about, and the fact that it still, it survived, is pretty amazing.
2: That, to me, was such a powerful story for me, and again, resilience of the people of New York. Like, you know, I've been there several times since... I had my web, you know, web design conference in the World Trade Center in I think 1999, and yeah, I saw the sphere, and yeah, I know because I I did see people you know zipping past it and I'm going oh the sphere it's it's golden like it, it's welcoming me to this this um, the mall, but uh, so it, it resonated with me. But you know I yeah many people have come to me and said I didn't know about the sphere. I had to look that up because I didn't know if that was even true. And it was like it's it's true, and it's a beautiful story of the resilience of the people in New York and the world really
0: Mhm mhm Yeah and a very you know I was very moved by the story when you talked about the fire department lieutenant who gave you the tour and told you that they had you know silence every time when they were looking for you know remains after after 911 I didn't know that
2: Yes, and I think we only knew that because we took this tour with, you know, one of the, the people that worked in the fire department, and we just made such a connection with him. And you know, I, I really wanted to be sensitive about those things because um, it's a very, it's kind, it's very important. But um, also, there's a certain sensitivity that we want to wrap around that. So, um, again, kudos to all the people involved, and um, it's, it's really, it's an, and it's an inspiring story.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I knew that there was a lot of respect. I mean, people the people who were the first responders spent that they made that their their whole mission was to go and and do, you know, they spent 24 hours a day, you know, exactly. working at ground zero. Yep. Yeah. Um so I guess, you know, I'm wondering, are you I feel like your your book has a message for readers. Um, if you were to say there was a message, what would it be?
2: Yeah, you know, good question. I I think it has three messages. One of them is we talked about it a little bit, but it's dig deeper. There's so much more than, than you know, just what's on the surface. Um, I think if we look at... Like I say, my example with Graceland, it wasn't it wasn't the garish jungle room. It was so much more in that home, and I respected it so much. So I think it's digging deeper and seeing beyond the obvious. The second one, again, we talked about early on, was finding your voice. I'm a very quiet, introverted person, and for me to be on a radio show is quite um, is quite. I've come a long way, and I think we should all find uh-huh. our voice and tell our stories, right? I think it's I think it's very important, and I think these stories will resonate not just for future generations you know hopefully they're going to get passed down through our families and that but also you know I hope that maybe I can you know give a little bit of inspiration to to readers out there and and that kind of leads into the third point which is look for inspiration Um, you know you can find it everywhere and it really is in the most unlikely places Um, when I talk about my granddaughter Scarlett we go to the park and I haven't been to the park in 20 years and it was like I never realized I never heard the birds sing in a long time. So, you know, now I'm hearing the birds sing and I'm going, "Wow, that is so inspiring. Like there's so much life and beauty around us and I think we need to look for it and appreciate it, especially in these very hard times right now and a lot going on, but I think it brings out the best in people in many ways."
0: Mhm. Mhm. Yeah, just stopping and looking around us and noticing you know the beauty in the moment is really important. Yes, I agree. You, you know, the fact that I walked by that sphere and didn't even notice it it didn't register that made me think, Wow, I've probably walked by a lot of beautiful things and don't notice them. Because I'm but so... we all do. Yeah, yeah. It was, I agree. Uh, I'm not just saying myself, but it definitely made me think because, you know, I was I was right there. <laughs>
2: yeah. So yes. But I think it's just being aware of it right and and moving forward and taking that extra glance,
0: right being mindful being mindful yes. in the moment mhm, so Laura, are you working on any future books or
2: projects right now?
0: anything in the world uh,
2: yes i am i'm I'm actually journaling um journaling something that I'm going through right now. And it's just that this is all brand new. So um, I'll give you a little bit of history. So my book actually went live um, February 8th. And as luck would have it, I had breast cancer surgery February 9th. And, uh, you know, I, like I say, I'd work with my, my editor. We got it live the 8th and I was all excited but when I came came home I said I guess it's not I told my daughter I guess it's not my time to shine even though I've been working on this book for a couple years now I have to deal with this breast cancer so but after I said it I quickly recanted and I go wait a minute I just um, on launch day I had to get a sentinel node biopsy which is where they light up your lymph nodes and they actually inject you with nuclear substance and I said oh wait a minute I'm shining. I'm full of nuclear substance for the next 24 hours. I'm probably shining from outer space. So um, we kind of laughed, and you know, you have to make light of it because otherwise, it's gonna, it's going to um, destroy you. So I thought, ah, let's just make this light. And as soon as I said that, I got a text from my publisher, Kathy Sparrow, and she shared the news that my book had hit number 21 in the category of personal transformation ebook. Right behind Matthew McConaughey in his book Greenlight. Wow, that's great. I know. So I thought, well, maybe this was my time to shine. It's not the way I imagined it, <laughs> but um, anyway, my my, I'm gonna I'm journaling this this path for me, and um, you know, it's about personal transformation and all the brave men and women that have gone before me to um, to make sure my path a little bit easier. I know some of my friends themselves have done clinical trials and had mastectomies, and I've had a full Full breast um, um, reconstruction. So over twenty years, they're healing the mind and the body, right? Whereas twenty years ago, it was just let's get a mastectomy and you're done. But now, they paved the way for me to make my journey easier. So I want to capture that, and um, and hopefully, you know, bring that into another book.
0: Okay. All right. Um, Good luck with that. Really. Thank you, Yeah. So, if people are interested in in finding out more about you and in finding about out about your book and ordering your book, um, what are some ways that they can do that? So, it's on
2: Amazon. Um, it's called Green Velvet Chair by Laura Elizabeth Ballerini. So, if you search that, um, you can you can um, purchase from there. Um, I also have a a website, an author website, and you'll be happy to know what I named it. It's called Uh badass-ballerini.com. So I also have a website with links there to the book. So badass-ballerini.com. And again, it's bringing out my inner badass, but not in a nasty way, in in a hopeful, hopeful, positive way, Um, just finding my voice. So through the website or through Amazon directly, you can purchase the book.
0: Okay, great. Well I'm gonna be posting those on my website later tonight. So um anybody who didn't have their pen and paper ready can can look later tonight and, and it'll be there and they can just click on it. It'll take them to your website and also the Amazon site for your book. Thank you so much, Dr. Okay. All right. Well thank you for for being on the program and thank you for for your this great book and, um, and keep us posted on, on the next one. Okay. And I hope it's a smooth journey.
2: Thank you very much, Dr. Mara. Okay.
0: Thank you. All right. Okay. Have a good night.
2: You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
0: All right. We're going to take a quick break. Um, Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Dr. Mera's book, The Passionate Life, Creating Vitality and Joy at Any Age, is now available on Kindle and in paperback at Amazon. Don't forget to listen to Dr. Mara Carpel and your golden years, live from Austin, Texas, every Sunday on blogtalkradio.com.
2: Please visit us on the web at www.drmaricarpel.com.
0: And we're back. If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Maricarpel and your golden years right here at blogtalkradio.com and on drmaricarpel.com. And now, you know, for the past few weeks I've been just, starting to discuss this issue of late life depression, depression in older adults, um, And I never really got to go deep into it because of time constraints. So I'm, I'm going to start with how to recognize it. and then on future shows we'll be talking about um, treatment for late life depression as well as prevention. And the reason that I'm talking about this issue is that, um, you know, I recently gave a talk about it, um, and it 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 reminded me about this very important issue that's been around for a long time. That very often, um, depression is overlooked in older adults, and there are a lot of health consequences to that and a lot of reasons for it as well. And, and with things that have been going on in the world, most recently two years of, of COVID and isolation, um, which has really affected older adults more significantly than anyone else because they have been the most isolated of any group. Um, Older adults, especially in nursing homes or in senior facilities, have had to um, miss out on on seeing their family and friends or even um, going to activities within the building where there are large groups that would congregate for their own safety because older adults are the most vulnerable to getting very sick from covid and, you know, as I've talked about before and recently wrote a blog about um, social isolation is a um, – leads to depression, basically. Um, it's a big factor in leading to depression. And with older adults, even before COVID, there was an ep- epidemic of, of older adults being um, socially isolated um, especially people who lived at home by themselves and just couldn't get out, couldn't, can't drive, can't do things for themselves. Um, very, very big epidemic of isolation in older adults. And the um, the outcome of that is pretty severe. It causes... Um, significant depression and, again, health issues. And then on top of this global pandemic, seems like we were starting to come out of with vaccines and mask wearing, Um, you know, then we have this uh, invasion of Ukraine by Russia that may seem like far away and on the other side of the world, but um, many of us are affected by it emotionally um, as we are with, with wars all around the world. But this one also has the impact of being sort of feeling sort of threatening to us because obviously Russia has nuclear arms. And, you know, so it, it's kind of scary. And, and for older people, it has been found to be even more scary. Um, and then older people who come from that part of the world, are being re-traumatized by this. So I've talked about this before, the statistics about depression and anxiety, and millions of adults will experience depression at some point in their lives. Fifty percent of depressed adults also have anxiety along with the depression. And the WHO, the World Health Organization, says depression and anxiety have increased by 25% worldwide due to the pandemic. And preliminary findings show an increase of depression in Russian-speaking Holocaust survivors in the United States. Um, social isolation, which has as I said, impacted all of us, but especially older adults, is a very um, a very significant risk factor for the onset of depression, and the effects of social disconnection or connection that occurred earlier in life will become more apparent in later in life. So, older adults are more likely to experience a decrease in social connection. Um, because of various issues even prior to COVID such as retirement, widowhood, children leaving home, age-related problems and as I said they experienced the most isolation of any other group during the pandemic and um, but for younger adults it's there has been a lot of isolation. It can affect people as they get older. So, you know, that's a really that's a really big issue. And then, according to the National Institute the Institutes of Health, excuse me, late life depression is considered a public health problem because of the increased risk of um, severe health issues that lead to death caused by depression, um, decreased physical, cognitive and social functioning caused by depression, and also the increased risk of suicide in older adults. So while suicide is not at a higher rate in older adults, um, older adults who are depressed and who are suicidal are tend to be more successful in committing than younger adults. They, if they want to commit suicide, they will. Um, and also if they are not successful, the effects of the attempt will be much greater in terms of their health and cognitive ability. So it's pretty significant. We don't, we don't want older people to even get to that point or anyone to think of suicide. And in spite of these risks, depression in older adults is often missed, and that's why I wanted to discuss it. And there are many reasons why um, it's often missed. And one reason is that older adults with depression tend to fall under the radar of diagnosis, that they – the wrong – the wrong things are looked for when screening for depression in older adults. So when screening for depression, when looking to see if someone is depressed, most people, even healthcare practitioners and mental health practitioners, tend to look for the symptoms that they expect to see in younger adults um, so that the symptoms of older, late-life depression um, just doesn't get picked up because it because it can be different um, so sometimes um, the symptoms of late light suppression are misattributed to other reasons and the old and the practitioners um, don't don't believe that the person is depressed. They think something else is going on, um, possibly a medical condition or a medical reason for the symptoms. And the focus tends to be on medical explanations. And even if someone is depressed, very often doctors will look at the medical reasons why they're depressed rather than the emotional reasons. Um, that are leading to depression again, just focusing on the medical rather than really looking at the emotional depression, and older adults themselves don't want to talk about it because um, there's still some stigma attached to being depressed and having um, an emotional problem a mental health problem, and um, they don 't they also sometimes don't want to use up the doctor's time. They feel like their doctor's very busy and they don't want to talk to them about emotional things. Been, they're they there for medical reasons, so they don't bring it up. And very often medical practitioners won't bring it up either, either because they they are very busy and so they don't have time to ask uh, uh, the questions about emotional well-being. And they don't... they. Possibly feel like by asking the questions it might stir up something emotional, which that that won't happen. That does not happen. A study published in 2001, and hopefully things have changed a little since then, but I don't think that they have been completely changed, Um the study found that 70% of older adults who successfully committed suicide had been to see their doctor within four weeks of their death, 70%. So somehow it didn't come up and it was missed. 20% had seen their doctor the day of their suicide. So that is pretty significant and as a very important reason why doctors really need to look at the mental health of their patient when they see them. Um, You know, it's normal to feel sad when we experience loss, um, loss of physical capabilities that many older adults feel, loss of health, loss of a home, loss of loved one. These are issues that we all experience, that older adults experience them more. Um, But normal sadness is different than depression so sadness when someone feels sad they feel sad about that particular loss but they're also able to feel happy joyful or even just content when positive things happen when they get to see their family when they get to see friends when they engage in a, a an enjoyable activity that they they tend to feel Content with that or happy about it. And then that would not be depression, but depression is a persistent and pervasive mood that doesn't lift even when positive events happen that they just lose interest in the things that they used to enjoy. And not only that, it starts to interfere with daily ordinary life functions like sleeping, eating the desire um, to socialize, ability to think. All of these things are affected by depression. So one big reason or another big reason, probably I would say the main reason that depression is missed in older adults is because the one symptom that we think of when we think of depression is that a person feels sad. And if Sadness, crying, saying sad things, saying that they feel sad. If that is not present, we tend to not think that the person is depressed. In older adults, that symptom of sadness, not always, but more often than with younger adults, a lot more often, that symptom of sadness is missing. It's not there. They're not sad. And so we don't, we don't tend to look further. Family doesn't tend to think that their uh, parent is depressed. The doctor doesn't see any reason to pursue a discussion about depression and other symptoms of depression. And the person themselves doesn't think they're depressed because they don't feel sad. Um, instead of feeling sad, uh, very often, the symptom is just not feeling, not enjoying activities, not feeling happy, just kind of feeling numb or disinterested. In psychology, we call that anhedonia, where you just don't feel anything. You just not, you just feel blah. Nothing makes you feel happy, um, and that can be a symptom of depression. For younger adults. And for an older adult, but that is the symptom that's more often seen than sadness in an older adult. Another symptom that causes doctors and family, mental health practitioners and the person themselves to miss the, the existence of depression is that an older person with depression tends to have persistent, vague, and unexplained physical complaints. So we tend to look at the medical side of it. It must be something physical going on. They must be getting sick. Something's wrong physically. They have aches and pains. They feel dizzy, weak, shaky. But when that's present, without any physical Medical explanation, when they've gone to the doctor over and over again with the same complaint and the doctor cannot find a reason, that can be, not always, but it can be a symptom of depression and it happens quite a bit. So also, if physical functioning is impaired to a good degree that's out of proportion with whatever medical condition they do have, if they do have a medical condition, but they seem more physically impaired by it than what would normally be the case, um, that can be depression. If there are changes in their functioning and their ability to do things, walking, talking, thinking, without a medical explanation, it could be depression. Now of course it's important to, if any of those things happen, to have a medical, a very thorough medical examination to see that it really isn't medical, but it can be depression. Um, Memory complaints in older adults. We tend to think of it as dementia or just you know, uh, mild memory disorder due to age. And it could be either of those things, but it could also be depression. And depression affects one's ability to think clearly and mental functioning. And so it results in memory gaps. And when someone is depressed, an older person is depressed, um, rather than but they're not, they don't have dementia, they tend to complain more about the memory problem than someone who has dementia and doesn't really, they tend to not be aware of the memory problem. Um, So someone with dementia is not going to complain about memory as much as someone who is depressed. Um, the The other difference is that and I think I mentioned it the last time I spoke about this, is that if you ask a pers- an older person who is depressed and having memory problems questions, the answers are more often, I don't know, or I don't remember, where someone who, is, who has dementia, um, when they're asked, they tend to try to answer the question and they give the wrong answers. And sometimes the answers are close to the right answer, but they're not right, um, so that's the difference. An older person with depression causing memory problems is tends to be more aware of their memory problems and and even complains of a worse memory problem than what actually shows up if you test their memory. They think their problem with memory is worse than it actually is. Um, along those lines, someone with An older person with depression tends to have difficulty concentrating and they tend to have slower processing of information. So they may have to reread the same paragraph over again. They may ask you to repeat yourself. It takes longer to understand what's being said to them. And I mentioned before about social isolation causing depression. Um, especially in older adults. The other aspect of this is that older adults with depression tend to isolate themselves socially on purpose. We see that in younger adults as well. So if an older person is, is with more isolation, socially withdrawn, more isolated, they're turning down social invitations, they're just not interested in participating, that can be a sign that they're depressed. Um, A decrease of appetite and significant weight loss. So, you know, we tend to see that with younger adults as well. Also, a significant increase of weight and increased appetite where people are stuffing their feelings with food. It could be de- a significant decrease or increase of weight without trying. But with an older person, it tends to be the first, a so, decreasing weight, losing weight. They tend to lose their appetite more. And um, the sleep disturbance. Could be in the form of not getting enough sleep, having trouble falling asleep, staying asleep, um, often waking up at four or five in the morning after falling asleep very late at night, and then also sleeping too much, wanting to sleep throughout the whole day. When we see an older person who is very irritable and demanding, we tend to think that they're just cranky, that that's just a cranky old person. It could actually be depression, that, um, that the person is depressed. If you see the irritability and um, demanding behavior that didn't used to be there and is now sticking around day after day, this could be a sign that they're depressed. At the very least, um, that behavior is a sign of some sort of pain, whether it's physical or emotional pain. Now, another symptom that we don't tend to think of with depression, we don't tend to tie it together, um, is that of either confusion, hallucinations, or delusions. So those are kind of psychotic symptoms when you have hallucinations or delusions, seeing things or hearing things that are not there when you're awake or believing things that are kind of strange and bizarre. Um, And they can actually be um, a sign of depression when somebody is very, very depressed. So um, usually the content of those hallucinations or the delusions are very negative, so thinking that they hear a voice telling them to hurt themselves—that would be one that you really need to pay attention to and get help immediately. Um, thinking that the voice is telling them that they're a bad person, um, they're not worthwhile, or seeing scary images in front of them—those are those are those can be. A sign of severe late life depression, they can also be something medical. Um, they are always a sign that you need to seek atten- you need to seek more attention, medical and mental health. something is going on. If this is something new, this is not something that they've had their whole life with a diagnosis of schizophrenia, um, something needs is going on either medically or emotionally. Now, if somebody starts making statements like what's the point of living or I might as well be dead, these are red flags. Um, just simply reassuring the person that everything is okay and everybody loves them and they're worthwhile, that's, that's wonderful, but that's not enough. Um, they should be evaluated immediately for depression and a possible suicide risk because if somebody says things like that, they may be thinking about taking their life. So that's something to be taken very seriously. Um, feeling of worthlessness is a symptom of depression. Um, saying things like they're a burden to their family, again, that should be evaluated immediately for um, not only depression, but a suicide risk. And then some older people who are depressed do actually have the symptom that we connect most often with depression, which is sadness. So crying, tearfulness for an extended period of time. If it goes on longer than right after something sad happens, um, they should be evaluated for depression. Um <clears throat> Prolonged grief. So everybody grieves differently, and we can't put a time limit on how long someone grieves for. But if they, if somebody has gone through a, a, a loss, a major loss in their life, and they're grieving and they're sad, if it continues in, for longer than six months, where they still cannot feel joy. or contentment, you know, when good things happen, um, they may, you know, you can still feel sad for years about the loss of someone, but you still feel joy and contentment unless you're depressed. So I would say if somebody continues to feel grief that takes, that pervades their life day and night um, for six months or longer, then they may very well be depressed. If you notice that someone is starting to walk slower, their speech is slower, they're more, they have a more stooped posture, um, or even physical digestive slowness like constipation, that can be a sign of depression because everything slows down. So again, if there's not a physical medical reason for these symptoms, look for depression. Um, some older people who are depressed even lose their ability to walk. And finally, if you start to see that somebody using alcohol more often, they're starting to drink more or they're using more of their prescription medication, they're taking extra medications um, than what were prescribed, this could be a sign that they're trying to medicate the, the emotions. They're trying to self-medicate and it's a sign of depression. And um, it's also a concern because of all of the health risks involved in doing, in drinking a lot and taking extra medication. <clears throat> and also puts someone more at risk for actually acting on any suicidal thoughts. And there is one more and that is increased worry and anxiety because anxiety and depression tend to go hand in hand. So you may notice that the person is anxious before you notice that they're depressed, that if they're having a lot of anxiety, it could be that they are also depressed. So now that I've given you the symptoms of late-life depression, not all of them need to be there, just one or two sometimes. Um, The next time... I will talk about what the treatments are for depression in late life and also how to prevent depression in late life. That's really important. Okay. So now to go to a more uplifting topic, we're going to listen to some music by our producer, Art Mendoza, Telemonto and go to Mexico. That is what. everybody been? It's It's been a while.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So doing okay? Yeah. Great. So where are you taking us today?
1: We're going to go to a smaller village the next couple of times and the first one is San Buenaventura Nanticanos. The town of San Buenaventura, Nalpican, is located about two hours southeast of Mexico City in the municipality of Nantican in the state of Puebla. There are 13,233 in Nartican. It's the most populated town in the position number one of the whole municipality. San Buenaventura, Nantican is at 2,231 meters of altitude. Over seventy-nine percent of the residents that live there are Catholic and over forty-five percent speak both Spanish and their own indigenous dialect. Over ninety percent of people work and the birth rate is approximately two point sixty six children per mother. There are also other small villages to visit like Burgamilias, Puerto Dorado, Tempita, La and Santa Fe. There are several places to stay that range from 25 to 95, and one especially beautiful place is Maison del Abuelo, where you can see the f- famous leaf, the volcano Popocatepetl. Some restaurants to visit there. Comedor Balú, La Choza del Camarón, Pescaderia and San Buenaventura, Nartican and Restaurante Bar, La Zarra. For those who are looking for a more quiet and spiritual vacation, San Buenaventura, La is where you want to go.
0: Well, that sounds very relaxing. Have you ever been there? No, No. but I want to visit there. Yeah,
1: Yeah, sounds sounds pretty good.
0: Sounds pretty good. All right.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, until next time, adios. Until next time, know. <laughs> okay. So now, uh, before we get knocked off the air, um, let me let you know what's coming up next week. Next week, May 22nd, we'll be back with another live show, and we'll be joined from New York City by Dr. Juliette Bruce, writer and healing story practitioner to discuss the healing power of story in life, especially for this time in the world. And if you want to hear tonight's program again and read the information from this show, get the links that we talked about earlier on the program. Go to my website, drmarakarpel.com. D-R-M-A-R-A-K-A-R-P-E-L.com. You can also hear this show, um, in as soon as five minutes from now by going directly to blog, B-L-O-G, talkradio.com slash your golden years. And you can listen to this program on Apple Podcasts. Also in five minutes from now. Again, be sure to follow me on Facebook for upcoming programs and events. Dr. Mara Carpell, Your Golden Years. This show was produced by Accomplice Entertainment, Postal Productions, and Psyched Up Productions, and sponsored by AmightyGoodTime.com. Thank you to my guests, Laura Ballerini, Minerva and Ruben, in Bay of Bandettas. And thank you to Art. Thank you all for listening. Have a peaceful night and in Firing week. And remember, youth has no age. Good night, everyone. Stay safe. Feeling
2: nice. Like a bird who has to walk, ain't got no place to fly. Feeling like like a thief that's in the sun, ain't got no place to hide.
1: And I don't know
0: how I can take
1: if I turn around
0: to find you gone.